Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to Discover DEP, the official podcast of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. Each week, we talk with DEP experts about how we protect and preserve New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. So that you'll never miss one of our podcasts, please subscribe to Discover DEP on iTunes or Google Play. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy our podcast. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. Our state parks are one of New Jersey's great treasures, and we have with us today the superintendents of our two most visited parks, Island Beach State Park and Liberty State Park. Their superintendents, Jen Clayton at Island Beach and Rob Rodriguez at Liberty State Park, do an amazing job keeping these parks open and going and clean and hospitable for the really hundreds of thousands of visitors that they each get every year. It's not an easy task. There's a lot more that goes into it. I know that if you visited either one of those parks, they make it look effortless. But the fact of the matter is a lot of effort goes behind keeping these two parks up and running and keeping them the attraction uh, that they are for not only the people of our own state, but for visitors from around the country and really around the world. So Jen and Rob, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I wonder if I could get each of you to tell us a little bit about your park. They're they're very different and in a lot of ways the same. Island Beach State Park is probably some of the most pristine oceanfront land, in, not only in New Jersey, but along much of the mid-Atlantic coast. Liberty State Park, right in New York Harbor, beautiful view of the Statue of Liberty in Ellis Island, New Jersey, as well as the Manhattan skyline. I always think, as a native New Jersey, and the best way to see New York is from New Jersey. And the views there are spectacular and so much to do in uh, the park in Jersey City. So they're very different in a lot of ways, but also very much the same in terms of their attraction for people to come and visit it. So, Jen, tell us a little bit about Island Beach State Park, a little bit maybe of the history and kind of what's available there and and why people come to Island Beach State Park. Sure. Island Beach State Park, um, it's along 10 miles of the Atlantic Ocean. It also has 10 miles along Barriga Bay. So there's two very distinct ecosystems there that you really can enjoy. The park is broken up into thirds and northern natural area, a recreation area, and a southern natural area. The northern natural area is pretty much as pristine as it gets. There is no real heavy access to that area, so it is as nature intended it to be along the coast and is really a stark difference when you look at the the line between the Berkeley Township to the north and where Island Beach State Park starts. So if you arrived uh, 300 years ago on a boat from across the Atlantic to that portion of the park and did the same thing today, it looked pretty much the same, huh? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely northern natural area, yes. And as you go south in the park, you have the center third of the island, and it is the recreation area. That's where swimming beaches are. That's where you can start with your mobile sport fishing. And the majority of the activities take place on the ocean side of the park. And it goes all the way down to the Barnegat Inlet. So then we also have the bayside, and there is kayaking out of there, canoeing, clamming, fishing, anything that you can really imagine that you could do in, in the marsh areas is all the activities there. And I, I love the balance that the park strikes between preserving a, a pristine natural environment, but also providing recreational opportunities. That's, it's so important to keep that sort of balance, isn't it? 
It is, and it is a balancing act um, because there are areas that people do want to access and, and you just, it, there has to be these natural habitats. And even the front of it, even the recreation area all along the oceanfront pretty much looks like it would have. Yeah, it's quite a treasure. It's a real treasure for New Jersey and I think for the entire region. Rob, moving up to Jersey City and Liberty State Park, tell us a little bit about the history of that park and kind of what you could expect to find there today. So Liberty State Park was dedicated on Flag Day in 1976, and at the time, the governor dedicated Liberty State Park as New Jersey's bicentennial gift to the nation. And that was Governor Byrne. That was Governor Byrne, yeah. right. And at that time, Liberty State Park was only about 50 acres. Today, Liberty State Park consists of 600 acres of land and 600 acres of water. Most of it purchased through the Green Acres Program, Land and Water Conservation Fund, and it's been built over time into this waterfront park and we have five miles of shoreline that we manage actively manage there are still 250 acres of undeveloped property that we call the interior that is yet to be developed into a park but will in the future historically the property was used as a railroad yard mm -hmm. and it actually had two functions one was the the movement of goods and products the commercial side of it and the other was the movement of people. Uh, the movement of people predominantly happened on the north side of the park where the historic Central Railroad of New Jersey terminal building is in that complex. And so in the height of use, it was married together with Ellis Island and that folks were processed, immigrants were processed through Ellis Island and they purchased their, their rail tickets on Ellis Island and then came to the Central Railroad of New Jersey terminal building where they would wait there to get onto their train that was taking them west. Wherever they were going. Wherever they were going. The gateway to America. That's right. And they should move that arch from uh, St. Louis to probably the Liberty State they, Park. They, they probably could. <laughs> and so we estimate about 10 million immigrants came through the Central Railroad of New Jersey in its heyday. So wow. on the rest of the park today serves a lot of different features, a lot of different constituents and the public at large. There's natural areas within Liberty State Park that are very unique. An open beach area right on the bay as well as some marshland we have a nature center we the central railroad of new jersey is a historic site so we we use it as a museum but we also facilitate the ferry access to ellis island and the statue of liberty so it's the only place in new jersey where you can catch the ferry to the statue of liberty the only other location is in new york city we do have some other tenants in the park we have a liberty landing marina which is the largest marina in the upper new york bay with over 500 slips. The marina has two restaurants that are world-class restaurants, great restaurants to visit, as well as a commuter ferry into Manhattan. The Liberty Science Center is another tenant of, of the park, and they're open every day as a science museum and, and technology center. We also have summer camp. We actually have three summer camps that operate out of Liberty State Park, but one of them that's a tenant is Camp Liberty and they, they usually have about 2,000 kids a summer. They go through that program, and it's an art and recreation summer camp. Beyond that, crabbing, fishing, kayaking, access to the harbor is really what we try to provide for people, as well as a connection to the history there. So that's kind of what we're all about. Yeah, I, I remember the first time I was there, going out to where the old docks were and, and the new dock for the ferry, but the old commuter docks. Mm -hmm. Uh, that took the ferries when people would come on the railroad and take the ferries over to Lower Manhattan. And it was a picture-perfect day. I mean, the sky was as blue as could be. 
the water was sparkling and I almost felt like I could reach out and touch uh, some of those skyscrapers in lower Manhattan. The view is just unbelievable. And that's just one aspect of this extraordinary park that has so much history as well as places for recreation and to enjoy the water and, and, uh, and also visit some of the most historic sites in the country, the Statue of Liberty and Ellis Island. Mm -hmm. Really quite amazing. How many visitors do you get a year on average to Liberty State Park? So last year we averaged about 4.3 million visitors. That's a lot. That is a lot, <laughs> yes. That is a, is a significant amount, yes. And Jen, how many come to Island Beach State Park? We estimate about a million. About a million. Mm -hmm. And most of them, I imagine, come during the summer? Most of them during the summer, definitely. So that million is kind of compressed into probably June, July, August, early September. Yes. So that's pretty busy. Some days, I guess, the park probably even has to close because the parking lots get full. That we definitely have to do. Yeah. Get there early if you're coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's nothing like spending a full day at Island Beach State Park. It's so beautiful and the water's great. And I understand there are lots of amenities for folks who come and visit as well. You know, not only lifeguarded beaches, but other amenities that people can take advantage of whether they're there if they want to get something to eat and things like that. Yeah, we have food concessions. We have a beach bar now at Swimming Area 1. We have a nature center. We offer nature programs from surf fishing lessons to kayaking to um, we just have a um, American Sign Language interpretive nature tour now to island foraging. So we're trying to expand, and we have a number of school groups that come in throughout the year, usually the end of the school year during May. They come, and we have probably about 40,000 school kids that come through there. And I understand this summer and last summer you had very, a couple of very special visitors who require particular attention, and those are piping clover chicks. Yes, this is the second year. On July 2nd, this nest hatched. There was only one egg, and the egg did hatch. We've had some challenges keeping it closed to vehicles. It is in an area near the jetty that's popular for fishing. But although mobile sport fishermen have been very cooperative, it's more of a logistics challenge mm -hmm. trying to block off in a section of beach. But everybody's been very cooperative, and last year we had two chicks that fledged, and this year... We're looking at the one egg, and he's looking good. Yeah, so he's hatched but not yet fledged. Yes. Yes, and uh, you also have to watch out for the foxes when the plovers are on the nest as well, right? Definitely, yeah. and surprisingly this year they haven't seen a lot of predator activity around there, even not just foxes, raccoons, gulls, blackbirds. Um, they'll all try and get in there. Uh, we have on the description of the website some pictures of last year's piping plovers. They are adorable. You know, they look like when they're really young, these little cotton balls on two little toothpicks and, you know, running around on the sand and, and into the surf as it comes up onto the beach, you know, looking for whatever little things are in there. It's, it's really pretty cool. Are they an endangered or threatened species, the piping plovers? It's a threatened species. Threatened species. This is the first time that they have successfully nested on the ocean side, as far back as I know of. And they have nested on Island Beach State Park before, but on the bay side. And that was probably, I think it was 15 years ago. So it's been quite a while, and this is our second year in a row. It's a different pair of bird that nested this year than last year. So we'll see. Hopefully that continues. That's a tribute, I think, to the stewardship of the park, that these birds that have very particular uh, requirements for where they nest are finding the ocean side of the park a hospitable place in which to lay eggs and, and raise their young. Definitely. And hopefully it also means their numbers are coming up because they're finding yes. new areas to nest. Yes, so which is great. That's good. Which is great. 
Now, Rob, Liberty State Park wasn't always kind of parkland, was it? You mentioned the railroad there, but there were other uses on some of the land before it became a park. So it's kind of a, a great redevelopment story as well, isn't it? It is. It's probably one of New Jersey's best brownfield to parkland restoration efforts ever. Um, and it was an industrial complex once upon a time. I mean, the movement of, of goods like cattle or coal, for that matter, it was immense in, on that property. And you kind of have to remember that before the Industrial Revolution, most of that property was all open water. It was actually filled in, landfilled, and then an industrial complex was built on top of it to deal with the needs or to accommodate the needs of a growing New York metro area population. and it's something you'd never get away with today. But no, you wouldn't get away with it today. And just the amount of coal that had to come through here to keep New York City warm, you know, it was, it was amazing. One of the, on a very southern end of the park, historically, was a, a munitions depot. And we call it Black Tom is the name of the area. And believe it or not, a hundred years ago, this in a hundred years ago last year, the munitions depot was bombed by German sabotagers during pre the U.S. entering World War One. Really? So this is before the U.S. entered World War One. Wow. German U-boats came up into the Hudson and bombed this munitions depot that had been privately owned but had been providing munitions to the British. Uh-huh. And last year we had this great ceremony with family members of some of the folks that died during that sabotage at the park, at the location where it happened. Today, there's 13 American flags there, there's a picnic area there, there's a playground, the park office is there, there's a parking lot there to, to service those amenities. But that, that's part of the history of the place. That's fascinating. Yeah. I'm not sure many people know about that. Yeah, it's the, the Black Tom explosion. Yeah. And there's a memorial there to uh, the victims of the terrorist attacks of September 11th as well. That's right. The New Jersey's official 9-11 memorial called the Empty Sky is also at Liberty State Park. And it's quite a moving memorial because you stand at the one end and look through, kind of looking at where the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center once stood. And it really evokes, you know, now we're more than 15 years after that event. But uh, when I was there a year ago, it really evoked in a tremendous amount of emotion. Mm. Um, it's a very effective memorial, I think, in that it really does remind people of uh, the horror of that day. And, and the park played a real role in helping people evacuate from Lower Manhattan, didn't it? That's right. So part of our, our history of Liberty State Park certainly has a chapter of, of September 11th and, and the months after that. For, for a while, the terminal building specifically was a, a family crisis center. And the Red Cross came in as well as the state of New Jersey operated that facility. And if you lost folks, if you lost family members or friends in September 11th, you were able to come to a terminal building and find out information about where they are. And so the recovery effort was definitely in, supported by Liberty State Park through the ferry operation that we have there, as well as the facilities we have there. Now, Jen, running a park of your size, 11 miles along the ocean, 11 miles along the bay, a million visitors, most of them kind of compressed into the summer season. That requires a lot of work. Tell us a little bit about what it takes to keep the park up and running on a day-to-day basis and attractive and clean and safe for visitors. It takes a lot of staff. Um, it takes a lot of dedicated staff, really. It is coordinating in the summer lifeguards, 
our nature program to make sure our nature tours are still happening. And of course, maintenance, our gatehouse staff and everyone really works in conjunction with each other. Everybody supports each other. One function wouldn't be out there without the other. And they really depend on the other to really make it successful. But it's, it's a challenge every day. And I've had days where you feel like an air traffic controller where you're having, you know, a problem with a maintenance issue over here and something's going on at the gate and somebody's reservation didn't get booked for their nature tour. And, you know, luckily we have really good supervisors and really good staff to help to handle with all that. But it, it does all, you know, need to come from somewhere. And you usually end up getting the brunt of all the bad stuff, but then you do hear all the good stuff, all the compliments and knowing that we do have a million people that come through there every year and they enjoy it. They keep coming back and, and they, they really treasure it. That kind of tells it all really, doesn't it? I mean, the fact that you get a million people every year and that they keep coming back and that there are people whose families really for generations have been coming to that park. It's a part of their family history as well as the history of the park, that's a testament, I think, to how special it is and how it is a great place to go. And clearly the team that you lead there in all of its many facets is working particularly in the busy summer months at you know, peak efficiency to be able to keep that going. Rob, you've, you've faced many of the same challenges at Liberty. Yeah, our, our staff are incredible. They're very dedicated. We have about 20 full-time staff. Park Police has probably about eight full-time and then we supplement with seasonal and part-time staff through year-round because we're, we're a year-round operation seven days a week so we probably at the height of summer which is now uh, we probably have an additional 55 part-timers of seasonal staff and they're all very dedicated and they love what they do at the end of the day customer service is what we do connecting people to this resource is, is our mission and that's what we strive to do every day so keeping it clean you know, we say if it's if it's empty, fill it. If it's on the ground, pick it up. If it's dirty, clean it, you know, and yeah. and just help engage folks and provide that type of connection that you can with where they're visiting. Sure. So, And I think that kind of dedication we saw uh, really under very difficult circumstances early in July when for reasons that are well known to everybody, the parks were shut down for a few days. And then literally early in the morning of July 4th, like a little after midnight, uh, the reason for the shutdown ended. And you all had to get your parks up and running literally in the middle of the night with just a couple hours notice so that the visitors who would be there on July 4th, which is probably one of your busiest days every year, would be able to enjoy the parks. What was that like having to pull that all together on a moment's notice? It's, you know, it's, they say, you know, you can't turn a, an aircraft carrier on a dime. And I, Imagine it's pretty difficult to get big parks like these up and running in just a couple hours, but but you all managed to do it. What did that take, Jen? It was nail biting. It was we were watching the same news programs as everybody else at home. We didn't have any additional information, but we knew that eventually we would have to open back up. So we have been planning reopening for a few days, making sure that staff knew when we did open that we would want to open and we want to open fully we want the public to come into the parks and enjoy them the way that they should so the day before we actually opened when it was getting close to that time where you're starting to hear that the legislation might be passed and we might be good just getting everybody on standby 
and making sure that they knew that if if the bill did pass and the budget was good, then we're going to open regular time tomorrow just like we would any other day of the week. And that was 8 a.m. Regular time, right? <laughs> that actually, for us, we opened a little bit early on the weekends. We open at 7. Wow. Um, we're open 24 hours for fishing, but we did open at 6 a.m. for fishing, 7 a.m. for the rest of the park, and we got it done with our staff ready to go and wanting to be there, wanting to work their seasonal positions and wanting the public to enjoy the park. And it was a gorgeous day. And I'm sure the public was very glad to be there and and to see all of you on the job. And it must put a a lot of smiling faces on the visitors as well as on your staff. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And Rob, the same thing up at uh, Liberty State Park. And, you know, this is not something where you, you know, it's one guy walks in in the morning, turns the key and you're open, right? Yeah. You just don't turn on the lights. (laughs) There's a lot of lights to turn on, a lot of facilities to turn on. But luckily we, you know, we planned for reopening. So we knew what we had to do. And it, it was just a matter of on that Monday night, the third at about 10 o'clock, making all the phone calls, making sure everybody was ready to come in that July 4th, very early in the morning. And and we were able to open up all the gates, remove all the bicycle rack, the barricades, all the bathrooms had been cleaned, all the picnic areas had been cleaned. So it was just a matter of just re- reopening all those facilities. And uh, so we were able to open the park by 8 a.m. The first ferry out of Liberty State Park to the Statue of Liberty and Ellis Islands at 8.30 in the morning. So that was met on time. The restaurants were able to open just fine, you know, and, and we were back to normal pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but we, we had a really good game plan going in and, you know, everybody was just really excited to get back to work. Sure. And, and that's, so we had a little bit of that adrenaline. And of course, you will probably have contingency plans in place anyway, because there are other reasons why the park might shut down. Sure. Weather, you know, certainly during Sandy, you know, you, you faced uh, not the exact same challenge, but also having to reopen after being reclosed. So having those plans in place is so important. And I would just say that, you know, often the public is sometimes critical of state employees in, in ways that are, are not fair. And uh, sometimes say, oh, they're just there to collect a paycheck. But you know, when you get a call in the middle of the night before a national holiday that says, you know, we need you there at six o'clock to open the park and you're there and you're doing that, that speaks, I think, volumes about the dedication of the people who serve the people of the state of New Jersey in both of your parks and across our entire 40 state park system, as well as our wildlife management areas and our state forests and all the natural and historic resources that are run through DEP, and uh, it's it's quite a tribute, I think, not only to the leadership that you all obviously provide in your parks, but also to your staff and, and you know, even seasonal folks who are just there for, you know, a couple of months or summer, same level of commitment. It's really, uh, really inspiring, I think, particularly on Independence Day, you know, because that's one of the things we celebrate on Independence Day is the spirit, the can-do spirit of this country, and you all certainly showed that can-do spirit on Independence Day this year, even above and beyond uh, the can-do spirit you bring every single day to your to your jobs and to your park. So it's uh, pretty darn impressive, I think. And you, you all should be proud of yourself Thank and your staff, so I'm sure you are. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Well, I have gotten the high sign here. We have run over our usual 15 minutes, but that's okay. This has been a very uh, interesting conversation. It's been a great pleasure to hear about not only the history of your two parks, but what goes on behind the scenes and what it takes to keep them up and running and the attractive places that they are for the, literally between the two of you, over 5 million people who visit these two parks every year. 
considering the entire population of the state's just under 9 million. That's kind of amazing. So I want to thank you both. I want to thank Jen Clayton and I want to thank Rob Rodriguez for taking time out of their busy schedule to spend time with us here today at Discover DEP. And I uh, hope you all have a great and relatively uneventful rest of the summer. Thanks so much. <laughs> thank, thank you, Bob. You. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.